March Madness NFL style. It is here, folks. We're back. Kevin's Corner, Kevin Bowen, Chris Presley, recording uh, Tuesday around lunchtime, two weeks and one day from the start of the new league year. Officially kicking off, and that means a trade becomes official for mm-hmm. Carson Wentz, and lots and lots of news items surrounding the Colts and the rest of the 31 teams around the league. So it, it, it's not quite what we're going to experience here in Indianapolis on the hardwood, which I can't wait for that. Uh, but, man, this is exciting times of, like, the lull from mm-hmm. the Super Bowl to now. We usually have the combine to break it up. Obviously didn't have that this year, but it's about to get pretty crazy, man. It's been crazy. It has I been, mean, but like even more crazy. Yes, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's been it's been nice, especially for us. You know, working in content, and you you know, obviously journalism and podcasting and stuff. It seems like a story each week, and unfortunately for us, I feel like there's been numerous pods where the day after we record something, news breaks. So yeah, let's hope that whatever <laughs> we say on this podcast can at least stay relevant for 24 to 48 hours. Right. I know a lot of people were kind of nervous last night about seeing the Darius Leonard, a big announcement at yep. 10 o'clock today, thinking, oh, boy, he's had a contract extension. And shout out to Darius for starting his own foundation. Um, but for the most part, the first week of March, outside of, like, you're cutting some veterans, really not a lot of action. Second week of March, you maybe you resign your own. Guys, you don't want to hit the, the open market. Obviously, franchise tags. You're getting put on a lot of players, and, and what the list looks like now will not be what the list looks like come March 17th. But really, once you get into that tampering starting on the 15th, mm-hmm. that's when the dominoes fall, and they fall in a hurry. So we'll see how active the Colts will be this year. Tons and tons of Twitter questions. Uh, but today's show, really, the big focus will be on the Colts' uh, offseason blueprint from my eyes. You know, If I were kind of running the show, what would I do with the $43 million? Right now in cap space. Uh, and then a little bit of draft talk. Not super into the draft just yet. I, I want to save that for late March, early April. Um, I know a lot of people have been asking about that. We'll certainly hit it very yeah. hard um, around those podcasts. But I think today it's just kind of lay out a blueprint, man. Who are you re-signing? Uh, who are you trying to go out there and get in free agency? And then what does that look like as you enter the draft? And pros and cons of it as well. Right. So I know we've talked a lot of Carson Wentz in the last couple podcasts. There are a few Twitter questions that we'll get into about Wentz. But for the most part here, man, this is going to be what that um, offseason plan looks like. As you know, at West 56 right now, it's plans, gobs yes. and gobs of plans and, and backup plans. And it can be very unpredictable. You never know, A, who's actually going to be on the open market, and then B, how that plan is going to unfold. So let's uh, let's focus on that today. Yeah, I'm just picturing the war room or, or West 56, like you said, the the always sunny in Philadelphia meme that people always post with the the different strings oh, yeah. going different places <laughs> where Charlie's trying to figure things out. I I feel like that's how the NFL. That's one of the more popular or, gifts out there. Yeah, yeah. That that I feel like that is a popular gif. Obviously, you have um, Alan from The Hangover. Mm-hmm. I feel like you know just all kind of the number crunching yep. in his head. I feel like that could be applicable to what we're at right now so um, as always we'll have tons of written content over the next two weeks as well on the site just kind of getting you ready and and prep for free agency we're wrapping up the individual free agent watches this week on the site what's about 14 or 15 i think free agents for the colts and then um once the news starts to break we'll uh we'll, we'll have it all for you yeah prior to helping you with the podcast kevin i mean obviously 
mock drafts and the draft is something that every fan looks forward to. Now that I've kind of been immersed more in Colts news and especially listening to you and, and other podcasts and, and people, free agency for me this year is actually very exciting because that's where I'm going to finally figure out or hope to figure out, as Chris Ballard said, if you read between the lines, you might be able to pick up on what he's going to do, um, where the draft might kind of pivot towards based on who he signs in free agency. You know, it, it's funny, Chris. I, I think about this all the time. You hear all these public comments from people around the league, Jim Irsay, Chris Ballard, Frank Reich, and yes, we read a lot into those comments, and you try to sift through that, but ultimately the actions speak louder than any of those words. It's it's the cutting of Pierre Desir last year and the signing of Xavier Rhodes. It's the feeling that we really like Pierre Desir, just gave him a three-year extension, didn't like how he played in that first season on that extension, a little bit banged up, if we can upgrade a corner, we're going to go do it. And so I think that's what it's, okay, what are your true feelings mm-hmm. on Kamoko Turi and ben, ben, ben Banigo? What are your true feelings on Paris Campbell's health situation? We saw it last year with the Malik Hooker not picking up the fifth-year rookie option. Yeah, I don't need any Chris Bauer press conference. That said everything to me right then and there. So I think that's the fun part of this is you start to really see these franchises all around the league show their hands. And, yeah, when it comes to the draft, you see a little bit more of it. And the draft is just – it's more unpredictable in the sense of it, – it, it's its not the two-way street that free agency is. Free agency, you got to have both parties yeah. that want to be married. The draft, you don't need that. Just as long as you fall in love with that guy, that guy has to come to you. So um, it's going to be fun, man, because as I've stressed throughout, I think the early parts of the offseason and the Wentz thing certainly takes up a big part of it, but this team needs retooling, bolstering, whatever word you want to throw in there. But it's an exciting time because you feel like a lot of pieces are in place. You have enough resources to, I think, cross some other stuff off the list. And I do feel like there's a bit of a, you know, kind of kick in the butt of like, let's go sort of mindset. And I'm curious to see how that plays into some of these moves of the next, uh, really, two months. Right. And with the offseason plan, you know, we have a couple of different things to talk about, as you mentioned. The first one, let's just jump right into what are the Colts' needs this offseason, Kevin? Well, you know, I, I think before we kind of get into the positional stuff, Chris, I think the biggest need is to be aggressive to help out your quarterback. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we talk about injecting Carson Wentz into some confidence, and we'll get into a little bit of what Frank Reich said last week about that indirectly. Although, boy, Frank pretty much said Carson Wentz without saying the words Carson Wentz throughout that <laughs> presser, which was terrific uh, by the head coach. But I think bolstering the offense, the defense, providing key personnel for Carson Wentz, I think ultimately that's going to help his confidence. Will it be as beneficial or as impactful as Frank Reich's one-on-one teaching? No. But, you know, you look at some of those Philly skill guys at times, and it was like, oh, boy. Wow. And I know they invested, they honestly drafted a lot of skill guys early yes. on with Wentz and after Wentz, but they just really didn't pan out very much. So I think how the Colts go about that has got to be kind of the central theme of this whole offseason. As far as positional needs, you have to start at left tackle just because of the importance at that position. You guys know that we've carried a banner for the Anthony Costanzo, most indispensable player. Uh, Throughout really the last few years, I will continue to hang that banner. 
Um, Chris Cassan's on the lineup was, you know, three or four point difference per game. It's the difference in a four win season or an eight or nine win season. I and mean, think about one player that doesn't play quarterback doing that. I know you guys have heard those numbers, but I just want to reiterate what that means. And I also think we have to realize, too, that like O line depth is still something to keep an eye on. Yes, yeah. you got to go out and find a left tackle, but, you know, you, you suffered some injuries last year. I don't think you suffered anything catastrophic until late in the year. Like, you didn't have the torn ACL in week two or in early October or something like that on the O-line. So I just think we have to make sure we keep that in mind. I have edge rusher a lot closer to left tackle than I think most people do. I I, You could convince me it's just as important as left tackle. Mm-hmm. And if I had a couple, you know, strong IPAs in me, I'd probably walk away <laughs> saying that I agree with you. You know, it's just one of those things where I'm not as like one, two. I'm like very like one, one A right. with those two things. Because I just think edge rusher means that much. Uh, I, I then think it's a pretty big drop, at least a couple of slot drop to corner. And obviously decisions to be made on Xavier Rhodes, TJ Carey. Um, and then I think wide receiver. Pretty close to corner, you know, three or four, I guess, if you're going to list it on that. I, I look at tight end as a bit of a luxury. Mm-hmm. I'd like to upgrade. Yep. It'd be nice, but, you know, I could be pretty content going to bed with, you know, Jack Doyle, Mo Ali Cox, and who knows. A, maybe you bring back Trey Burton. They're, you know, still pretty high. I know with Eye, the, the kid you claimed from the Eagles last year. Uh, so $43 million. Six draft picks as of now, only two premium picks so far. I, I consider day one and day two yep. the the premium picks. And I think what we have to remember, too, is if we're going off of recent Chris Ballard free agencies, he likes to have some money left over. Mm-hmm. So I think in this exercise, maybe keep seven to eight million. That might be a little bit too less for Chris, but that's how I'm going to go about things. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned not only the left tackle need, but the depth. Because as Ballard mentioned in his postseason uh, press conference with you guys in the media, that's where he kicked himself. You know, he he right. really felt right. bad looking at that team saying, damn, I wish I gave them more offensive line depth. Yeah, it was a regret. Um, and it was a pretty understandable regret, you know, that we certainly stressed a lot. And I do think there are a couple of guys, like a Danny Pinter, um, maybe a Will Holden, even though we really only saw him in there for one game. But, you know, could he be a backup tackle? Um, so it's not like the dire situation that you're going into that you came out of last season going into the 2020 training camp where you didn't have any of those guys that even played an offensive snap mm-hmm. in the league last year. They're already on your own roster in Holden and Pinter, particularly guys that have played a little bit of action for you here recently. So, um yeah, let's get into it, man. Yeah, let's talk about the Bill Polian approach. The next topic, re-signing your own. Who do you think we need to re-sign currently that is that is leaving the Colts or could potentially leave the Colts? So we've got, what, 15 free agents we've said. I'm going to re-sign four. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with Al-Kadeen Muhammad. I'm going to go with Marlon Mack. I'm going to go TJ Carey. And I'm going to bring back T.Y. Hilton. Um, thoughts on that, I guess. Just a quick overview. You guys have heard me talk about Al-Qadim Muhammad. I think that he has reached a professionalism and an effort that the Colts would like other young rushers to play with. And I just think out at edge right now, 
he's a young three down presence that you somewhat trust. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you can say that of anybody else inside that building. So I'm bringing him back. I've got three years, and these are very rough estimates on contracts. I say three years around $9 million. Okay. You know, who the hell knows, in all honesty, but it sounded decent for me. Um, so I'll go there with uh, Mr. Muhammad. Marlon Mack, you know, one-year prove-it deal, three-ish mil. Uh, that might be a little bit low for him, but I'll be curious to see what the what the um, – what the um, market yeah. looks like, you know, for him. Uh, there are some decent running backs hitting the open market. I know Aaron Jones mm-hmm. is probably kind of the the um, the gem of the class, if you will, but there are some other guys out there that I think are decent, uh, maybe more guys that have also proven themselves out of the backfield as receivers, which Marlon just – they really haven't put him much into that situation here as a pro. Um, but I think a lot of box is uh, can be checked to this reunion or I guess – this marriage, if you will, having a second contract. At the age of 25, Chris, I think he comes back, can still prove himself. And while he might not get the amount of carries here that he would elsewhere, if he can be a four-and-a-half-yard-per-carry guy and show that he can stay healthy, he's going to cash in nicely in a two- or three-year deal next offseason. So I think it makes some sense for Marlon as well. I don't bring him back with the thinking that he needs to be splitting carries with Jonathan Taylor by any means. Jonathan Taylor is your bell cow should be your bell cow, needs to be getting 18-some carries, 20-some carries every single game. But I want to have a little bit of insurance there, and that's where Marlon comes into play. A TJ Carey to me, Chris, and obviously with me only re-signing four of these guys, that means Xavier Rhodes is not coming back under yep. this plan. I look at Carey for his versatility, his durability. I think he's missed one game. He missed one game this year. I think it was the first time he had missed a game in five years. So I think about corners, Colts have kind of suffered through some injuries there. Mm-hmm. So I like bringing back Carey for his versatility. I don't view him as like he's back to start necessarily. I, I don't want to pencil that in. I think you still need to make some other moves. But um, he's back because pretty reliable, I think. And uh, the versatile element at that position on game day is critical as well. And then lastly, Hilton. I've got it at $10 million per year. I'll say two years. I don't think the market for T.Y. Hilton is maybe going to be what he thinks it should be. Okay. For one, I just think the receiver class is pretty darn good, and that will play into a lot of it. Um, I also think he's got value here with the addition of Carson Wentz. And from a leadership standpoint, was much healthier last season. I think all of that are reasons why you do bring him back. Um, So those are the four. I don't... You know, nothing earth-shattering to Nico Autry is probably another name that I've mentioned before. I just, I'm going to spend money elsewhere on the defensive line in this plan, so I don't have him there. You know, I can hear cases for Anthony Walker. I can hear cases for even lower-level guys like a Joey Hunt. Um, who else? Jacoby, no. I just don't, I, you know, Malik Hooker, no. Raven Clark, no. Uh, Trey Burton, again, I'm kind of like, let's draft a tight end in round five or round six and see what you got there. Um, so, yeah, these are the four I'm going to bring back. Based on my rough estimates, it knocks me down to about 26-ish million. Wish I had a little bit more. It's part of every GM that probably looks at you know mm-hmm. his, uh, his cap situation before entering for agency. But I also think something to keep in mind, Chris, is 
I'd be somewhat surprised if more than one of these guys I just listed were brought back before the start of free agency. You know, Chris Boward has been very, very mm-hmm. vocal. Um, maybe not as vocal as more action-based, but certainly he's mentioned, oh, yeah, we'll let him hit the market and see what he sees and then see what we see and then go from there. Like, yeah, I can think of Clayton Gathers. I can think of Pierre Desir. I can think of several guys that this team has let some of their own hit the open market and then still brought them back. So with the majority of your money going to T.Y. Hilton, and obviously that means Xavier Rhodes walks, let's jump into free agency. So then is one of your top free agent signees going to be a corner? Not top. My top is going to edge rusher, and I'm going to I'm trying to bring in uh, Carl Lawson okay. into the building. I think when you look at him and the production he's had consistently, and I, I love that quarterback hit number over the past two years, I think it's like 21 and 32 quarterback hits over the past couple of seasons. And, you know, his testing numbers, he's not overly big for a defensive end, but his testing numbers are really, really good. And we know the traits the Colts like coming off the edge. It is that athleticism. It is that quick first step, that initial burst. And I think Lawson provides that for you. I know that it's going to be probably a um, big-time bidding war if the Bengals don't just franchise tag him. So I'm going to say three years, $36 million for for Lawson. Um, I think he's 25, 26, Chris. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I believe that on a defensive line where you know Geno Atkins kind of tapered off, losing Carlos Dunlop, I think you bring him here, give him support from DeForest Buckner, that could only open up even more opportunities for him Mm -hmm. off the edge. So I think it's just vital that, to me, spending for edge rusher is a little bit more important than spending for corner. I just think that you can – that can cover up a little bit what you have at cornerback more so than the flip side of it. Just because in this defense you aren't playing a high amount of man. So if you could force the quarterback to get rid of it earlier in the zone – I think that's what you're going for there ultimately. So I got Lawson there. I'll go with a mid-level corner. You know, some names that are intriguing. Quentin Dunbar, um, Akello Witherspoon from the 49ers. Shaquille Griffin is another name that I kind of like. He might be a bit too rich coming from Seattle. Mm-hmm. But if you can find a corner that has played well in zone, can certainly tackle. That's a big prerequisite for the Colts. I look at that as, again, maybe mid-level, maybe even lower-level corner. And just throw him into the group. And now if I'm throwing that guy into the group with, I know Kenny Moore is a starter. Now it's Rocky Seen with that guy. Now it's TJ Carey with that guy. You hope Marvell Tell with that. You know, we'll see about Isaiah Rogers as well. Okay, that's a group that you feel like someone's got to, <laughs> has yeah. to emerge out of that group. Um, we have to remember, you can't cross off every need. Like, it's just unrealistic. Mm-hmm. So you got to sacrifice a little bit here. And I'm thinking I'll sacrifice because I've invested so much at the edge with with a guy like like Lawson there. So um, that's my mid-level, maybe lower-level corner. My last kind of outside, the building move that is notable, I think is a mid-level wideout. Yep. Uh, even with bringing back Hilton. Now, this might be a hair too rich, but how I look at it is I don't want to put all the pressure on Paris Campbell. Not only for him, but more so for my team. And I like Campbell. You guys know that full well. But I just can't have it all invested there because I'm coming back to the root of the offseason. 
and that is supporting Carson Wentz. It's building confidence for my quarterback. And as much as Zach Paschal and Ashton Doolin and Reese Fountain and Desmond Patman are guys that fans are always asking about, probably mm-hmm. more so the latter three than, than Pascal. Pascal's pretty established. I want another one. I want one more name. Because I'm also honest with the fact that I think I'm pretty bullish that Hilton can still give you something. What happens if those lower body injuries do kind of flare up? What happens if Michael Pittman doesn't take the jump? I think he will take mm-hmm. in year two. So now Nelson Aguilar with the Frank Wright connection is a name. Uh, maybe some of those Chiefs wideouts, who I think we talked about on last week's podcast, some of the lower level guys like Demarcus Robinson. I think the Pringle guy is a free agent as well. Um, I've mentioned Josh Reynolds from the Rams. He might be getting too much of a payday. Corey Davis probably getting too much of a payday. You know, Will Fuller, too injury-prone for my liking. So that's where I look at some of those kind of second and third level with a little bit of athleticism. Mm-hmm. Athleticism can give me a little bit more than maybe Pascal can. Okay. I really like Pascal, but just a little bit more flair with that. So, um, so yeah, that's that's how I look at kind of outside the building signings for the Colts, people will probably look at that and say, what about left tackle? Fair. Um, I am showing my hand with this and saying, come draft time. Yep. Here we go. Left tackle. Yes, I totally get that. Maybe I'm not totally. Maybe I'm saying, hey, Quentin Nelson. Who knows? <laughs> you know, like it's it's one of those where just because the Colts don't sign a left tackle in free agency, doesn't totally mean they're all in on the draft. It probably means that, but there are some options on the roster that they certainly are still exploring. Well, let's talk about the draft because clearly on the needs, you said left tackle. And with re-signing your own, you mentioned wide receiver, running back, defensive line, and corner. And then free agency, you went defensive end, corner, and wide receiver. So that leaves in the draft the left tackle. But if I'll start off with this one first because clearly – we feel like we need to draft a left tackle. If it's not a left tackle and you don't want to play your hand, what position do you go for? You know, the the beauty of this, Chris, and these are in my eyes. Of course, it looks beautiful. It will, will never look this beautiful when it actually unfolds. But I feel like I'm positioned to enter the draft with number 21 overall or number, I think it's 54 overall. Thinking left tackle, but by no means locked into left tackle at 21. Mm-hmm. So I look at it and say, and say to myself, what happens if one of those big three wideouts drops? What happens if Kyle Pitts drops? And I know we've seen Kyle Pitts crazy high. Yeah. You, you were yeah. texting me the other day about Kuiper having him four. Was it four? Number four, yeah. Um, what about one of the corners? Sertain from Alabama, Bill Farley from, from Virginia Tech. Is there just another position to where um, – it's just too good. It's just too good to trade back. And, and those are the positions that are freshest on my mind. Uh, you know, edge rusher, certainly. I, I would, even with making a significant move to Carl Lawson, like under my thinking there, I've let Justin Houston walk. That's a name I probably should have mentioned earlier. I've let Danico Autry walk. So are my starters al Muhammad and Carl Lawson with Kamoko Terry and Ben Banigou as the backups? Right. Tyquan Lewis maybe can, you know, help me out a little bit there. But, like, if that edge rusher you really feel like is too good to pass up, then you go ahead and do that at 21 as well. Um, 
So that's where I'm really focused on draft-wise is, yes, if you're going to put odds on it, it is going to be a left tackle at 21 under this situation. But if this left tackle group or offensive tackle group is as good as everyone says it is, right. I should be able to get a pretty good player at 54. It's kind of similar to the Pittman pick this past year of, like, just because Michael Pittman's the seventh-best wideout doesn't mean that in normal drafts he wouldn't be going 18 overall or, mm-hmm. or 20 overall or something like that. So um, that's how I look at those first two rounds. Now, I wouldn't want to get past round two without taking a, le- a, a left tackle. Mm-hmm. You know, Do the Colts, again, look at it and say, I'd be really surprised, Chris, if the Colts got through free agency and the first two rounds of the draft, and you didn't see a notable move, period, on the offensive line. Yeah. Very surprised. Just because we talk about the depth, and as much as you know, maybe Nelson at left tackle would be something to explore, boy, you know, you say you want to get the best five out there, and I do think there's some pressure on the O-line with Wentz, even though he is more mobile. I think you do have to give him some yeah. confidence again, coming back to all that. So that's how I look at the draft. Um just overall thoughts, I guess, Chris. I, You know, Rhodes and Autry walking, again, it, it's not what I love to do, but, boy, there's just kind of a – got to cut ties at some of these spots. Houston w- would be on that list as well. There are a couple of young left tackles that I think could play there in Cam Robinson and Julian Davenport that if you were to make those signings, it would be a long-term. It would not be a stopgap at all. If you did that, now you go into the draft and you're much freer in terms of the directions that I think you can go there. Yep. Obviously, with letting Jacoby walk and not making any move at quarterback, I've got Jacob Eason as the backup. This is me, not the Colts. <laughs> Let me reiterate that, but that's the route that I'm going, and I'm pretty content with that, to be honest with you. Um, and then tight end, like we talked about earlier. You know, when you get to round four, round five, can you find a tight end? That- yeah. You know, we've seen good mid-round tight ends blossom into really good players in the NFL. And I think getting younger at that position is important with Jack Doyle uh, reaching the age of 30 as well. Yeah. No, I agree. It's going to be fun to see. It's going to see. It's going to be fun to see how everything plays out. Of course, every time you think you have the Colts figured out, we don't. So we'll have all the angles covered as we get into this offseason. Anything stand out to you, good, bad, indifferent? Um, no, I think – in, t- in terms of the offensive tackle, like you mentioned, obviously mock drafts are mock for a reason. But since I've seen so many different guys from so many different outlets at the offensive tackle position falling to the Colts or being picked by the Colts, I think you're right in terms of the depth that the Colts, if there is that guy there that they want to get in ahead of an offensive tackle, they can take him. And like you mentioned, maybe get one of those guys in the second round if they need to trade up to really go after that offensive tackle that they don't think is going to fall to them. And in that fifty or so pick, then go for it. But yeah, I like I like the fact that they might be aggressive in something other than an offensive tackle. Yeah, and I just don't want to, I guess, fully be backed into that corner. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, are you backed into it to a degree? Certainly, but if you get started on Thursday night and boom, that guy, oh boy, he got to thirteen. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, he just got to seventeen. That's where I don't want to be oh, my God, guys, we have to take position over best player available. And I always think there is an element of, you know, position need along with best player available, kind of mash those two together, and that really dictates what the board looks like for you and the pick that you ultimately make. Um, 
But yeah, this is kind of how I look at it. I again, I, I know that bidding war for Lawson probably is a bit of a long shot. I think there's some other young edge rushers mm-hmm. that should be looked at as well. We'll see exactly who they prioritize in terms of in-house free agents. But one thing I did notice, Chris, is like 43 million, fourth most, sixth most, something like that yep. in the NFL. It's a good amount, but man, you start paying a little bit, right? And it's like, oh my gosh, where'd it go? Because I go back to what I said earlier. Chris Ballard has been a guy that likes to save money, and it's like, okay, are you paying Leonard with that extension this offseason? you got to think you are. Yep. Brain Smith as well. Like, It's just where exactly does that money come from? So I think we have to make sure we keep that in mind. Yeah, and T.Y. Hilton's been pretty cryptic on tweets lately, and obviously, as we know, he said the next contract, once you know, that's going to be probably his last. So is he trying to play a little cat-and-mouse game yeah, of trying to get some more, some more money from the Colts or – you know, at what point is it too rich for Chris Ballard's blood to say, we love you here in Indy, but we just can't pay that? I think T.Y. enjoys a little bit of the game. You know, when you always ask him about injuries, it's pretty vague, mm-hmm. pretty, you know, if I can play through it, I'll play through it, and then he seemingly always plays. Yeah. You know, it's it's one of those things. But um, I don't know. I just don't know the demand for T.Y. on the open market. Maybe it'll be a lot bigger than I think it'll be, but there are some pretty good wideouts there, younger that are going to hit the open market. Absolutely. All right, Twitter questions. Got a lot of good ones, obviously, coming off the heels of the Carson Wentz news, but really just jumping into other things as we head into free agency, which is the big part of this podcast and the draft. Kevin, we're going to start off with Drew, the big news yesterday, and J.J. Watt. He wants to know, how do you think that justified the Cardinals? Two playoff teams were offering him more money, but he takes less to be on a team that hasn't been to the playoffs in five years. Well, obviously, we're seeing some pretty conflicting reports on who offered what, what teams offered the most. I, I always find this fascinating, Chris, in free agency. If Chris Presley signs with, you know, the San Francisco 49ers, the 49ers will inform their media, hey, we didn't give him the most money. He just really wanted to be here. So they leak that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the Baltimore Ravens were one of the teams that rumored you know, offered more more money, and the Carolina Panthers. Well, then the Panthers media and the Ravens media, they're going to hear from uh, the Ravens GM and the Panthers GM saying, hell no, we, we didn't <laughs> offer him more more money. We don't want our franchise to look like he turned us down. So, like, welcome to the game. Yeah. Like, this is just flat out the game. And, and we saw it yesterday. The Cardinals had, I think, their, like, version of JMV, it sounded like, their afternoon radio host first said Colts, Browns offer more money, and then clearly – uh, you know, Zach Kiefer, Stephen Holder, uh, I think we've seen it more nationally. I think Pat McAfee actually as well. You know, the Colts people are reaching out to them saying, we didn't offer that money. Right. <laughs> like, we don't want to look like we got, you know, we got turned down in this situation. You know, as far as Watt to the Cardinals, like, is it a brutally tough division? Yes. Is he reunited with a coach that clearly he's fond of in Vance Joseph? Y- yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Also, right. I mean, shit, he's in the Arizona weather. <laughs> that's pretty good. Uh <laughs> As much as I thought the appeal to the Midwest was there, um, it's not like the Cardinals are the freaking whatever the the you know Dallas or the New York Giants or I don't know. I'm thinking of a team that's just a bottom feeder in the NFC right, right yeah. now. Like they were right on the fringe of making the playoffs. They've mm-hmm. got a great young quarterback uh, playing with Chandler Jones. Has got to be pretty darn enticing. Buda Baker is a tremendous young player as well. Again, very tough division, but. I don't think it's the most shocking thing in the world. I, I really think the Vance Joseph stuff was the biggest aspect to it. And, like, for a guy like Watt, you know, 
I don't think money is too much of a concern for old no. JJ at this point of his career. I think he's doing pretty well. I think endorsements are doing pretty well for him as well. So, like, if the difference is between a million dollars, I don't know, weather, a familiar coach, that stuff probably would weigh out in the end. Yeah, and who knows? But, go ahead. Who knows how that uh, division turns out if Russell Wilson leaves? I yeah, mean, I know. Now you are probably the front runner. Right, right. And, and, and I will say the Colts had legit interest. I mean, mm-hmm. there was definite interest, and really it was from – from from the top down, with that, um, but as we alluded to earlier, I mean, forty three million. What did Watt get? Was it? 16, it was teen. Yes, 15, yeah. something like that. Boy, I mean, right there, you're down to twenty six or something. So twenty seven. Right. So um, it can go. It can go very very quick. All right, this one comes from Darth Vader. Mm. With Matt Eberflus returning, is it time to see a vastly improved defense become more aggressive in terms of blitzes, et cetera? Um, you know, I, I think we've seen kind of subtle advances in that area. Mainly, I would say, from the disguising um, aspect to it. You know, the, right. the real pre-snap stuff. You know, I think back to that uh, that play Rocky scene made against the Packers in zone when he um, – and kind of dropped in that zone and picked off Rodgers. Mm-hmm. It was just a great play by Rock there. Um, I would still like the front to be a little bit more creative. I think you took a step there, Chris, but I'm probably greedy. And then coverage-wise, you know, I'd like to see a little bit more man. I know they probably don't have the personnel to play a whole lot of man. Um, I just think that gets exposed when your rush isn't getting home. So I do think you've seen subtle advances. I'd like to see a little bit more of it because – you know, flat out when you play better quarterbacks, this past defense has not been yeah. good. And I do think that that is an aspect of this team that has to improve to do some damage in January. Kevin, David said he understands the potential the Colts see in Paris Campbell. However, he hasn't proven to stay healthy. And honestly, since being drafted, he hasn't contributed much by not being available. So his question is, if T.Y. Hilton isn't brought back, how can Chris Ballard justify not bringing in a solid free agent wideout? Because to David... He says he has a feeling he will undervalue the position again. It's a good question. Um, I guess it goes back to something I said earlier. Publicly, you know, say what you do, fine, actions-wise. And, and I guess publicly say what you want to about Paris Campbell, mm-hmm. pretty much calling him fluke injuries and, 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 you know, bad luck and whatnot. But, man, your actions have got to have some insurance. You know, I think I mentioned this before in a prior podcast. You look at the last two games that Paris Campbell has played – and finished. He's had 160 some yards combined in those two games. I mean, that's great numbers. It's yeah. 80 yards of total offense. The problem is the Colts have played like 24 games in that span. Yeah. Campbell's played two. Yeah. And the Colts have played 24. Like, gosh, <laughs> you know, I if his name was Paris Ballard, you, you would still have to be honest with yourself and say. Paris Ballard sounds like a movie star. <laughs> um, you got to be honest. Yeah. You just flat out have to be honest. And I know it's a little bit of insurance, but I'd rather have that than you'll see Paris go down early in the season with an unfortunate injury, and now you're back to where you've been for the umpteenth year at receiver, not having enough support for those um, top-flight guys. So, David, your hesitancy is fine and understandable. Maybe not top-flight is... Somewhere in that second tier, third tier, some of those names that we mentioned earlier. 
We mentioned earlier in your offseason plan the thought of Jacob Eason more than likely being the backup quarterback for the Colts next year. But Jason wants to know your thoughts on Mitchell Trubisky being the Colts' backup, especially with his connection with Filippo as the Eagles quarterback coach in 16 and 17. Uh, I'm good. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm good, man. I, I I get the question, and I'm sure Mitchell Trubisky is a fine human, and he was the number three overall pick, I guess, number two overall two. pick, yeah. I guess, for, for a reason. But I just... You know, I, I do have a disdain for the Chicago Bears. Fully admit that up front. So maybe I should probably get that out of the way. But, um, you know, when you hear the processing of information and, like, questions about that, that is worrisome to me, especially in a Frank Reich offense. And I don't think we should. Frankly, I think Carson Wentz has got to get over it, to be honest with you, being worried about the backup. But would you be worried at all about Carson Wentz, where he's at mentally, if you did bring in a former top three pick, and that was your backup. Yeah. Again, I don't think we should be worried about it. I think Carson Wentz just got to man up, to be frank. Right. But I guess you got to ask the question, you know. It's, is Mitchell Trubisky as your backup really going to save the season? That much more than Andy Dalton or, you know, Jacob Eason or whoever you want to throw in there. Um, so, yeah, basically what I'm getting at, Jason, is I don't believe Mitchell Trubisky can be – a franchise quarterback to lead you. So it just seems like there'll be a little bit of maintenance there. Not necessarily with him, but around that situation. There'll be a lot of questions asked about the backup. There would be. I don't know if yeah. I want that. Okay. That's fair. It's totally fair. This question comes from Keenan about Bobby Okarihi and Anthony Walker situation. Bobby okay. played 685 snaps in 2020. Walker played 697. Who would be the third linebacker if Anthony did not come back? Give those numbers again. 685 snaps for Bobby Okariki, 697 for Anthony Walker. Keenan, I think we got to acknowledge Bobby missed, I believe, two games last season. I don't think Anthony Walker missed a single game. So those numbers aren't as even as maybe you would think. And, and I really want to stress people look at the head-to-head snap counts late in the season. Bobby Okariki was on the field a whole lot more than Anthony Walker. Still, you do ask who would be the third linebacker. Chris, this is similar to me as, like, kind of tight end. Okay. Um, it's not top of mind for me, but, like, it's a need. It's somewhere on the list. Who is that third linebacker? Is it EJ Speed? You know, when EJ Speed was drafted in the fifth round, Chris, first of all, he was drafted in the fifth round. I mean, that's, that's notable. It's not the seventh round. Right. It's not an undrafted free agent. He was, boy, he was about as project as a project as you can get. You know, he played multiple positions at Tarleton State. And, like, look at Tarleton State's schedule. I mean, nothing against him, but I think Garen, high school, had a tougher <laughs> schedule. It's been a while since I stuck in the Golden Eagles. Shout out to Bobby Allen. Big sectionals this week. Appreciate for, it. For Coach Allen. Fly, Eagles, fly. What I'm getting at is EJ Speed was, to even call him in the same light of Darius Leonard would be ludicrous to say. Like, just didn't have great competition. Didn't play a whole lot at linebacker but enamored with the physical traits. And if you go out to a Colts practice, I think I've said this before, before find me a better-looking player in pads than EJ Speed, besides DeForest Buckner. Mm-hmm. Like, EJ Speed is like, whoa, who is that? Right. You know, get him off the bus early. You know, that. <laughs> I mean, that's one of those things. Um, now, 
Would a third linebacker be more like a Zaire Franklin, who we've seen get some reps? Or a Matthew Adams, who's a little bit banged up this year? I think he might have a COVID situation as well. Um, is that something that you throw in there, especially when you're playing the run down, or the, the, the run-focused teams like Derrick Henry and the Titans? I'm good with drafting one late. See if that guy can emerge as well. But you know, I thought EJ Speed made a few plays on special teams this year that I wouldn't mind seeing him yeah. in there defensively. The thing you have to acknowledge, Chris, is similar to like backup running back. If Leonard and Okariki play all 16 games, <laughs> you'll go the whole season and quiz 90% of Lucas Oil, and they won't know who the third linebacker is. Right. They miss a month, and that dude all of a sudden is playing mm-hmm. virtually every snap. So that's where it's like, well, it's not a huge need. Oh, boy, is 53 down, 58 down? Oh, boy. Now right. you're scrambling a little bit more there. So, good question, Keenan. I'll say speed, but Franklin and Adams are two guys still under contract and, you know, have, have played a lot more defensively than uh, than EJ has. Okay, this next question comes from JJ, who asks, Carson Wentz has been quoted talking about his strong Christian faith. Is that at the heart of the leadership and locker room problems? For many, their faith is a good thing. But for some, it translates to exclusion of others that don't believe what you believe and being judgmental of people that are not like you. Jeez, boy. Is there, there, is there a Lent joke in here? Is there an Easter joke in anything? This is this is in-depth. It is. We don't usually go, you know, full-on sermon here on Kevin's Corner. So, J.J., as always, thinking outside the box, and I actually think it's a, a very valid question. Um, okay, I guess I'll start here. You know, you can be full into your faith, whatever your faith is, fine. I think a big thing is, like, inside of that locker room, and I guess it goes for any workplace, I don't need you preaching your thoughts to me. Like, okay, if we're having a beer at lunch and we feel like we have a great relationship and I want to have a conversation and I'm more curious about your faith, you're more curious about my faith, fine. Right. But I don't need you walking around trying to act like, you know, hey, I'm knocking on your door. You want to be part of my faith? Like, here's the Kool-Aid, you know? Right. Like, I think that's where – and I'm not saying Carson Wentz ever did any, any of this. Let me make that very clear. But I, I think that's kind of where Carson, or any player for that matter, but especially quarterback because they have all the eyes on them. I think that is something that's really important. You know, part of me thinks back to the whole kneeling aspect to this past season, you know, re- really came front and center. And honestly – I think a big reason why, and this is my opinion, why Frank Reich knelt and no one else on that team knelt was because not everybody in that locker room agreed with necessarily kneeling. And so Frank said, okay, I'm taking this off of your guy. I don't want any of you, you know, crashing heads with each other. I'm going to do it. I think that sends a message. You know, I'm the older, white, you know, coach, blah, 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 leader of the team. I'm going to go ahead and do it. And... I think that kind of alleviated some potential stress of, and I guess it's, I don't know, maybe it's more like 46 guys that are dressing on game day. Um, so, yeah, I just think, like, I don't think that's, like, the heart of the leadership and locker room problems. Like, when, okay, Wentz has big believer in his faith. That's great. Good for him. But it's like you just can't be preachy. And I, I, I don't know if you caught this, Chris. Um Malcolm Jenkins, Malcolm Jenkins went on Chris Long's podcast. Okay. And I don't know if those are anyone is too familiar with. Both of every NFL fan knows who those two guys are. But first off, very vocal guys mm-hmm. in their own right. 
and I think very well-respected leaders for those Eagles teams, and now Malcolm Jenkins, I think, in New Orleans. Yep. They talked about Carson and very honest about Carson. And basically they were like, he's not an ass at all. He's a bit shy. And, like, I think at times he could have reached out to more guys in that locker room and realized there is in every corner to this locker room. Like, there are guys in that corner. There are guys in that corner of just, you know, this is a bigger bigger locker room than just your offensive linemen, who quarterbacks are always obsessed with, or just your backup QBs. Or maybe you do love that fifth wideout because you do throw a few reps to him in practice. Um, But (laughs) they also made it very clear, which I could not agree with this more. Malcolm Jenkins and both Car and and Chris Long were like, dude, if you produce – I don't give two shits what you believe in, <laughs> who you are, blah, blah, blah. That's it. And at the end of the day, they're right. Um, does it help you if you're maybe a little bit more even, you know, and like, oh, yeah, I do get along with them. And was Nick Foles, I think, a more of an all-encompassing personality for those guys? They pretty much said yes. But they're like, again, it's not like Carson is a jackass. It's not like he was like that to us. No, no, no. It's just – Maybe not as relatable, maybe a little bit shy, like all of those things. It's still a, a young player, relatively in his career, going from North Dakota to Philadelphia in NFL locker room. It's a bit different. Um, so I guess there's just a little bit more into like Wentz as a leader. And I think the early signs we've seen, mm-hmm. you know, reaching out to guys on both sides of the ball, I think that's all great. Obviously, it would help him, I think, to get in person to some degree. Here in the spring, and you know, we Michael Pittman saying he's coming out to California to work with him, you know, things like that. But it'd be really nice if he did get some sort of off-season, in-person stuff. Because I do think when you get to training camp, it's kind of a grind. Yeah. And Carson's going to have a lot on his plate to repair himself, and he doesn't need to be worried about too much of the, hey, let's carve out, you know, an hour a day to do icebreakers with the <laughs> locker room. Like, oh boy, you know, what is yeah. this third grade? Um. So I do feel like that is something that is different from Rivers last year. Rivers walked into that locker room and garnered respect. They all watched him growing up. They all saw I mean, the the issues with with Philip Rivers and with the Chargers was never leadership questions right. or locker room questions. It was could the dude still play? So I do think that's what's different about the win situation though. All right. Well, let's stick with Carson Wentz. Question from Tim says he's never had a thousand yard running back. So he's curious about how the defense played him. Do they drop their safeties to try and take the take away the deep ball? If the defenses have the res- have to respect the run in Indy, will that open things up downfield? And on the flip side, will the threat of a deep ball open up more opportunities opportunities for Jonathan Taylor? Says I could be wrong, but I felt like Rivers was limited on deep throws last season due to arm strength, and Taylor was running with eight men in the box a lot. To me, I think this would help each other in RPOs, and it would be very effective. What are your thoughts there? That's in. There's a lot, a lot of truth behind that. I'll say this: you know, Wentz never had a thousand-yard rusher, Chris, but the Eagles did have decent run games. Like it was more of a by-committee approach. I do think there's something to the point of though, like Jonathan Taylor's in the game, and the defense starts yelling, "28, 28's in the game," and now all of a sudden that safety's taking a step or two mm-hmm. up instead of a step or two back. I think just. You can be a by-committee team, but I think an individual presence means a little bit more to strike fear, especially pre-snap, into that opponent. Um, and, and I will continue to say, and this goes back to our pros and cons. Did we do that last week? Is that the pros and cons podcast last week? 
I think it was. Yes. Um, yep. One of the pros was you have created a more open and a higher ceiling playbook. And I thought that was vital mm-hmm. to this offense getting back to the level that you need it to be at. Um, and I think this is part of it. This is an element to it that Tim points out. Kevin, this question comes from Trent. says, based on Chris Ballard's record of signing former pro bowlers and all pros that seem to have regressed a bit, such as Justin Houston and Xavier Rhodes, do you think there could be a player that he would resign or would sign this year? Well, it's a good question. I would say that Rhodes and Houston obviously were cut by their teams, I believe, both in March. So I, I think we're a bit unsure on just what we've seen a few of those names, J.J. Watt, Quan Short, Bears cut, Buster Scrine was it yesterday, I think it was. Um, we, we've seen a few of those. We're going to see a lot more in yeah. the next two weeks. So I'd say maybe be patient just a little bit there, Trent. Um, you know, J.J. Watt fit that bill, of course, early on. Um I do think, and again, this player, you know, it doesn't really fit into this, but it's kind of popping in my head based off what Frank Reich said last week, Chris. I do think it's something to note that, like, Marlon Mack continues to rehab here in Indianapolis. I do think that's something just to mm-hmm. note. Um, I think that's a good sign. And as long as the market doesn't call for him to get some sort of more security contractually or more security in terms of carries, I think he could be back here. Right. All right, keep your general manager hat on, Kevin. We got a question, a hypothetical from Jay. I love hypotheticals. All right, Chris Ballard is going to give you the power to make one offseason move. Oh shit! But he gives you a budget of ten million, or a caps and a cap space, and a second round pick to spend. What realistic move would you make now that the Colts have a quarterback? So I got ten million so got or a second rounder. Ten million of cap space or a second rounder. Yes. What realistic move? Mm-hmm. I hate the word realistic. <laughs> um, what edge rusher can I get for a second rounder? Okay. It just such a great question by Jay. Um, who was a kid that wrecked the Colts a few years ago? Crosby from the Raiders. Yes. Yep. Uh, Max Crosby yeah, from Max Eastern Crosby. Michigan, I believe. Yeah. yeah, I know it wasn't a very high draft pick, but yeah. boy, he's been a damn good player. Yes, in the he league. has. Um, you know, I've always been a guy that he would probably cost more than this, but Brian Burns, I think, has had a really good couple first years for Carolina, first round pick out of Florida State. So, those are a couple names. Again, the young pass rushers, Chris, that we talk about. Sometimes it takes rushers three and four years to get into the into their prime. Well, those guys are have shown flashes. Right now, they're into year three of their careers, I would probably have to spend a little bit more than the second rounder. So, Jay, I'm lying. I'm not totally adhering to your question, but that's the route I would go. I mean, $10 million in cap space, it's nice. Don't get me wrong. $10 million in cap space does not equate to what I could get for a second rounder. Second rounder, to me, has a lot more mm-hmm. you can get in return than you can. I mean, I almost said the F word. <laughs> DeAndre Hopkins went for a second rounder, people. Yeah. <laughs> Say it. I know you're all thinking it. Like, holy hell. Like, second rounders mean a whole lot. All right. This question comes from Sean. It says the Colts pick up Joe, Joe Haig and Will Fuller in free agency. The draft goes an interesting way, and the Colts are, clock, are on the clock with left tackle from Virginia Tech, Christian Darasaw. 
and surprisingly, a drop in the draft of Devontae Smith. Mm. What does Ballard do? Can you really turn down Smith here? Even though Haig isn't the best replacement at left tackle, and Fuller fills some good needs if he is healthy, you just can't justify not taking Smith here with his huge catch radius and big play potential. What are your thoughts? Uh, one million times out of one million, Devontae Smith is wearing a Colts helmet. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I literally have not thought. There's not been a short amount of time I've spent thinking about a question in the history of Kevin's Corner than this question. <laughs> and I don't. Well, how many podcasts are we on? We got to be over two. This is 272. Boy, we're, we're approaching 300, man. Yep. We got to we gotta do something for 300. We got to do it from a bowling alley. Get Pete Weber in the building to <laughs> bowl with us. Who do you um, think you are? God, there's no better <laughs> One of the celebration best sound sports. Uh, yeah, I mean, seriously, Devontae Smith. I, I, I mean, I'll come back in the second round and take a left tackle. I'm not right. even trading up for him. I mean, hell, if he got to 13, 14, I'd probably trade up for him. It's, and I don't even, Fuller, fine. Like I said, I just think he's too injury prone. And you guys know he's a Notre Dame guy, but I, I can put my hat to the side for a second here. Yes, Devontae Smith one billion times out of a billion. Kevin Jordy says, if, the Colt, if Carson Wentz, pardon me, plays well, then the Colts won this trade by far. But nobody ever defines plays well, what plays well looks like. So he's asking you. What does Wentz need to do to make this trade worth it? Make the playoffs, certain number of stats. Personally for him, if he's a top 15 quarterback, it will be a success considering how bad he looked in 2020. I think a lot of people are expecting him to immediately return to the 2017 form, but we need to have realistic expectations. Yeah, that's an interesting um, question, Jordy. Realistic, boy, that seems to be the word of the day. Um, Yeah, I think it's fair to have level-headed expectations with Carson Wentz, but I also think it's fair to have um, high standard for your franchise. I thought Frank Reich made a great point last week about the quarterback standard that this franchise has created and that, you know, what you've had here is arguably one of the better runs of a position that the NFL has seen in some time. Um, right up there with you know several teams in the league. If you aren't putting them number one overall, they're certainly in any sort of top five setting you would put up there. Um, I think like individually with Wentz, I think in the ten to twelve range is kind of where I have the bar set for him okay. in terms of quarterback. But I think to say like what does Wentz need to do to make the trade worth it? I mean, ultimately, Chris, I think you've got to be in the Super Bowl. I'm not saying you have to be in the Super Bowl this coming year. I don't even know if you need to be in the Super Bowl in 2022. But where I think like you have to get to the point of is, is top 10 or 12 good enough, Chris? Or how much do you need elite quarterback play to win in January? And this gets back to the whole Mike Tannenbaum question, Mike Tannenbaum's comments, which I feel like have taken off yeah. here lately where he – you know, talks about the, you know, whatever. Carson's the fourth best quarterback in the AFC South, yet he's better than Andrew Luck, which is still something I have no idea what he's saying there. Where I will agree with Tannenbaum is this. People say that it's not a financial risk or it's not a risk. Like, or they're like, oh, if it doesn't work out, it's fine. I, I strongly disagree with people that, that that have those takes. What you've done with this move is if you've you've committed to Carson Wentz, for, I would say, at least two seasons. While the commitment, uh, draft pick-wise, 
and cap space wise isn't to the magnitude of what the Rams did with Matthew Stafford, mm-hmm. you have delayed another quarterback move for two years. And if you sit here right now in the year 2021, this draft class on paper looks to be very strong in quarterback. Potentially four or five guys going in the top, whatever, 10 right. to 15, 20 picks. Let's go back to, I don't know, 2019 draft class. Kyler Murray goes one. Daniel Jones goes wherever he went, five or six. Mm-hmm. Dwayne Haskins is a bust in the middle round one. Drew Locke and two. I don't think, Chris, there was another quarterback taken until round four. Like, what happens if all of a sudden, the year you bottom out, that quarterback draft class is waiting for you? And now you went 500 with Wentz. And now, again, it's do you mortgage everything to move up for a Kyler? Mm-hmm. Or do you like Daniel Jones? Do you believe in Dwayne Haskins? What about Drew Locke? It, that, to me, is the risk. It's that in a very good quarterback class on paper, you have taken yourself out of that equation. Now, are there long-term benefits to Carson Wentz? Certainly, there can be a big-time achievement, and this trade could be won, without a doubt, more so than I think any other, again, realistic candidate would have given you this season. But this is a risk. I don't want to lose sight of that. So that those are the expectations that, that I have, Jordy, is this team around him, if you can continue to make some significant changes, they can be a team that could be one of the last few standing. And your quarterback, to me, in this league, pushes you over that hump. So um, playing over a 16-game season at level 10 to 12, sure. Mm-hmm. What do you look like in January? Right. That's what it comes down to to me. Um, But I think he can get this offense to be a little bit more potent, and that's what I think needs to happen for this trade to be achieved. So, I don't know. Statistics, sure, we can crunch numbers there. We can look at, you know, I'm sure we'll compare him to what Phillip Rivers did last season Mm -hmm. and and all of that stuff. But with where you're at as a franchise, I think individually, Chris, he's got to play at an above-average level. And you've got to win multiple games in the month of January to really justify this. Because, you know, if you get, let's say for some reason, Wentz plays it out over, let's say he plays out the rest of his contract, four years. You go to the playoffs three of those seasons. Mm -hmm. Let's say you take, you have three different results in the playoffs. Losing the wild card, losing the divisional, losing the AFC title game. I don't know if I call that a success. I don't. You know, yes, did you get the taste in the month of January? Sure. But to me, that will have meant now, you know, almost a decade removed from getting back to that first AFC title that you did with right. with, with Andrew and all these guys now, four years from now, where Nelson is reaching 30, Leonard's in the back half of his 20s, Buckner's into his 30s, you know, Ryan Kelly's into his 30s. Braden Smith's nearing 30. Do you have the same sort of course set up like you currently do right now? I think that's where um, the expectations are. And you got to go off, I guess, also what Jim Ursay says. I mean, he's the one mm-hmm. running the organization. He wants two Super Bowls in a decade. Right. I'll, get, I'll get one <laughs> before I commit to two, but I do think fans should have high standards for their franchise because I think the Colts have created that culture. Um, haven't lived up to it as much recently, but I think they've created it, 
and it's time to get back to that. You know, we've we we've talked about it. you haven't won a division since 2014. Mm-hmm. You know, the multiple playoff wins haven't been there since 2014. Um, I think at the bare minimum, Carson and this team need to help you get back to that. All right. This next question comes from a longtime listener in Riley. Wants to know: Do you think trading our first round pick for the Ravens Orlando Brown Jr. would be an option since he wants out to play left tackle? If not, what do you think it would take to get him, or is that even a possibility? I don't love it, to be honest with you. And okay. I know a lot of people um, have been fans of this because, Chris, I go back to the resource thing. $43 million in cap space. Okay, that's nice. Six draft picks. That's not a whole lot. Um, to get Brown, you've got to commit both of those. I mean, he wants a new contract. He's made that abundantly yes. clear. Um, and I just can't get that combine effort out of my head with him either. I know he's been a very good player, but boy, he was so pitiful here at the combine. And I mean, I get it, staking shakes enticing down the road, but it's just yeah. The Ravens do block things a little bit differently as well. I think you got to keep in mind there, but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna sit that one out. All right, this next one comes from Patrick. He's got a scenario for you, and just for the sake of the question, I'm gonna sub out. I'll read it, but then I'll sub out the name. Okay. We get J.J. Watt, who I'm going to replace with Carl Lawson. Oh, okay. In free agency, and at the pick 21, both the top tackles and edge rushers are still on the board. What do you as the Colts GM do? Oh, boy. Okay, interesting. Um, So I've done nothing at tackle so far. Right. Like, free agency, I've done nothing. Um, So I've already gotten Lawson. Boy, this is tough. I, I'd probably go left tackle, but like I was saying earlier, if that right edge guy and the traits fit, and I feel like I can come back and get a tackle at 54, I think that's something you have to acknowledge as well. It's like, what can I come back and get? You know, if I feel there's a cluster of tackles that are going to be there, maybe they don't get all the way to 54, but maybe they can get to 48, yeah. and then I can trade up a little bit, which I know you're going to mortgage a little bit there, but I would say left tackle. Patrick, I have a feeling that most people would say, without a doubt, you'd go tackle there. I'm probably in the camp, though, that can listen to edge rusher a little bit more. This one's from Omari. He wants to know, compare Carson Wentz situations to building him back up like the Luck situation. Thought he's always been a poor man's Andrew Luck. Well, I think it's much different. I get the skill set, and I get the similarities there, but Luck never bottomed out like Wentz. You know, Luck never had a franchise turn their, I don't know, turn their backs the right word, but Luck never divorced the Colts like Wentz and the Eagles yeah. had a divorce. Um, nor so did the Colts ever turn around, and maybe they should have. <laughs> Hindsight's twenty twenty, But they never drafted a second-round quarterback like the Eagles drafted, you know, Jalen Hurts before Carson right. Wentz. So, you know, I think we got to remember, Chris, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but before Luck, you know, has a surgery in 2017. He was a pretty good quarterback in 2016. Mm-hmm. He had to have been over 4,000 yards. I'm sure he was over 30 touchdowns and missed a game that year. He had the concussion against the Steelers. So, um, or, or I should say missed that Steelers game. So I, I understand it from a skill set, but I, I don't know. Career arcs, I can't go there. And, you know, obviously once has played individually for a stretch at a higher level than Andrew ever got to from that 2017 part of it. But the arc from there, much, much different. And to me, it just all comes back to, while I can see reasons for making this move for Carson Wentz, I still come back to this just unknown question, Chris, of 
why did the Eagles draft Jalen Hurts before the 2020 season? Yeah. Why? You look at Carson Wentz in 2019. He leads them to the playoffs in December. I mean, you talk about rallying around a franchise quarterback. They go 4-0 the final month of the year. Yep. They get in the playoffs. He suffers a concussion. Unfortunately, concussions happen. It's a, the worst nature of the NFL, but it's life. So they come back in April, and they draft a quarterback in round two when they have one other pick in the top 100. Like, I, I don't – if any of you out there have time on your hands, when find me a time a franchise quarterback that's believed in there at the time, Wentz had to be, what, 26? Mm-hmm. Came back and drafted a quarterback right. in the second round. It just doesn't happen. So um, I don't think they are comparable in that sense. I will say this. you know, I think back to how happy, which, again, adds to the confusion of Andrew Luck's retirement, how happy, genuinely happy, Andrew Luck seemed to be playing the game of football in 2018. And how much he credited Frank Reich for that. So, is that something he can get out of Wentz? I do think that's big. Mm -hmm. Um, I go back to Reich's Thursday comments, Chris. How do you rebuild confidence? He says you start from the fundamentals. I think if you watch, and he means like physically, like your base and whatnot. I think if you watch Wentz at times, the more I've watched him last season, there is some mechanical stuff where like he's got the long release, which whatever, you aren't going to tinker with that too much. He also at times, I think has a long stride, like overstrides. And, you know, think back to anybody. When that left foot, your forward foot, yep. if that all of a sudden gets out from under you, that can lead to inaccuracy. So I think that's a point you got to look at, and Frank is certainly going to work on as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I am mentally, I think Frank Reich and Carson Wentz will be all right. It's just more of can you fix the physical characteristics. And I guess the base, yeah, Andrew did that. But I don't think Andrew was ever – again, the the franchise never turned their back on him or Andrew right. was never fed up with the franchise to that point. I think one question, Chris, I don't think I mentioned this on the pod. Yeah. How much time is Frank Wright going to have invested into Carson Wentz? And how much will that take away from his other responsibilities as head coach? You've got a first-time OC. Mm-hmm. You got a quarterbacks coach, you know, who hasn't been in the NFL for that long, coming down from the CFL. Frank Reich's going to be very hands-on with Carson Wentz. But his job title is also the head coach. Right. So where is that fine line between your involvement with the offense as a whole, the team as a whole, and how much of that is with Carson? Um, I, I do think that's an aspect to this season where, you know, Phil Rivers is pretty low-maintenance. <laughs> Frank Wright didn't have to do a whole lot there. Uh, Wentz is higher maintenance, mm-hmm. and I just think you have to acknowledge that as well. It's true. Um, and that gets back to maybe more of kind of what I think about on game days. You guys have heard me talk about that. Is As a play caller, you're so invested into that. You have to devote all this time. Did you forget about a challenge? Did you watch a fumble happen in front of you, and because the whole bench is celebrating, you decide to throw the challenge flag? Those are some of the stuff that you worry about on Sundays. But now, you're Monday to Saturday. Mm-hmm. has got a quarterback that needs a whole lot of hands-on investment. And and I hope he doesn't because if it gets to that point, like you said, man up, then it's beyond it's beyond repair. I, I don't want – if you're going to come in and be a franchise quarterback in the NFL and hopefully someone who leads you to the Super Bowl, like you said, to be a success story, I should not have to worry about you. I hear you out. I do. And I also sit here and think to myself, 
Frank wanted this to happen. Right. Fra- Frank has to commit so much to that. it because if you don't fix Carson, do you fix your team to the point where you get to January? But uh, trust me, I hear you very much out in that situation. There is some of it that Carson's just got to Carson himself to do it, mm-hmm. and I don't even know what the hell I just said. <laughs> but, like, some of it has just got to be internal fortitude that you just got to man up mm-hmm. and be humbled, welcome the second opportunity, and go with it. Having said that, Frank wanted this. Frank's a believer in that. He's got to invest something into it. That balance will be very interesting. It'll be behind the scenes. It'll it, it'll it'll be difficult to see, but we'll uh, we'll try to keep a keep an eye on it. Yeah, it will be very interesting. This one comes from Chris. Wants to know: Would you rather have our current situation with Carson Wentz, or would you rather had Philip Rivers come back for a second season? Oh, Wentz. Yeah, yeah. Rivers ceiling. We know where it is. Wentz long term. Yeah, definitely. And, and I don't want that to be a slight on Phillip, but reality of a guy that's going to turn 40 this year. Zach wants to know, are we going to get a Kevin Bowen mock podcast this year? Says he knows it's cliche, but people absolutely love them, <laughs> and he does as well. Thank you, Zach. Of course. That's one of my favorite, the mock draft podcast that we do. we got to do a Beers with Bowen before mm-hmm. the draft as well. We're going to do that as well. And uh, I know I owe it to you guys. After late March, early April, we'll get uh, much more into the draft. This was from Trevor. Says the Colts had three players opt out last season: Marvell Tell, Roland Milligan, and Sky Moore. Any updates on them? With all, will all three return? And he wonders what type of player Tell could become. Yeah, you and me both, Trevor. I think a lot of people. Uh, I asked Frank Reich that question. He deferred it. I assume they'll be back, but I just think probably something to clarify at some point this off season. But yeah, of that group, I mean, certainly Tell. Yeah. Could have a huge role, and you know when you look at kind of the blueprint I laid out earlier at corner, Chris. I don't, I don't make huge commitments at that position, so he would come in handy. Another question from JJ Ballard said he wants to resign their own players and build from within. What's your opinion on how he's done? How did the poor seven and nine year after returning a majority of the starters from eighteen and nineteen affect this philosophy? I mean, to be honest, JJ, I, I don't think it has. I think we're just now getting into it. You know, the, the 2017 draft class, Ballard's first, they are now free agents. The Malik Hooker mm-hmm. is a free agent. Marlon Mack's a free agent. Grover Stewart, you re-signed. Anthony Walker, he's a free agent. So, we're just now getting into it. Obviously, 2017, very average when you, when you look at that draft. Just a weird draft, how it all unfolded from Quincy and Basham and Zach Banner. And then you got the hits from Marlon Mack and Grover and Anthony Walker. And obviously, 2018, I mean... Just a gargantuan mm-hmm. hit, um, and you're going to resign. You know, I've mentioned the four extensions at some point: Nelson, Braden Smith, Naeem Hines, and uh, Darius Leonard. The no-brainers. Right. We'll, we'll see about Kamako Ture and Jordan Wilkins and Reese Fountain and some of those others. But uh, I think we're just now starting to get into that. JJ, this next one comes from Ufuk. Uh, had a question on, on a previous pod. Loves the podcast. Appreciate you answering. So now it's coming back with another one. I love it. Thank you. Saw a quote on Twitter from Sean McVay about the Stafford trade. He talked about winning the Super Bowl, not the trade. Says, I know Ballard never goes above his price tag. Do you think this is the wrong approach when it comes to a quarterback situation? Not saying that it's a bad thing, but in the end, if nothing goes your way, you could end up with an unknown Jacob Eason or Jacoby Brissett as your starter. Yeah, it's the whole... um... I guess it's the whole kind of prudent versus aggressive, and obviously Wentz is going to be the starter. Um, you know, I I guess if there's one difference, you know, Ballard and I have, it does probably come down to quarterback. 
you know, I, I think it's more important that, than maybe he thinks it is, which whatever, it's fine. He's mm-hmm. the GM and I'm a bum. But um, I also think we have to acknowledge the Rams are in a different boat. Yes. I mean, they are in a much different boat than I think a lot of teams view it. And I think a lot of the building views. I mean, Les Snead's been there for a while. Les Snead has survived. I remember being on a, a elevator ride with Les Snead and Jeff Fisher, you know, back <laughs> in the day at, a, at NFL owners meetings. That goes to show you how long Les Snead's been around there. So... Um, I think you have to acknowledge that as well. But, you know, I, again, I'll continue to stress, I, I do think quarterback is can be such a difference maker for you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where less, or uh, that's where Sean McVay and Les Need view it. They're like, hey, we, you know, we're, we're a Final Four NFC team, but we didn't like our quarterback situation. How do we get over the hump? Let's invest a lot and give it a four- or five-year run. All right, five more questions for this edition of Kevin's Corner Podcast. This next one comes from Jason. And, Kevin, he's got you jumping in a time machine. Oh, okay. I'll do it. You get to go back and keep Manning as a Colt. Mm. Assuming things have played out the same in Indy as they did in Denver, You would have. would you have made that happen? Two years of a good Peyton, one year of a bad Peyton, and two Super Bowl appearances, followed by several years of muddling as, def- as Denver has since? Or would you have rather had things play out just the way they were Andrew Luck, and the present. Well, I mean, I guess, Jason, I don't know how your time machine works, but, you know, certainly you would take, well, I don't think Peyton's winning the Super Bowl here. I, I just don't. I don't. Um, the Colts just weren't, I think, financially at the point where they could keep that team together. And I think you look at Denver. I mean, Von Miller, you know, just a stud. Demaryius Thomas, um, Who's the guy with the, the, the good-looking dude with the hot wife? Eric Decker. Yeah, Eric Decker and Wes Welker and uh, the tight end Julius Thomas. Julius Thomas. Um, they had Sean Phillips, I think, early in that tenure. Chris Harris, the you know, was playing lead. at a very high level. Yeah, I mean, they had that was a damn, damn good football team. And I just don't think the Colts were in a position to keep it together. Um, so I think you have to be honest with it in looking at that um, part. Uh, so. I think the Colts did the right thing. It just, unfortunately, didn't work out for them. They had a great-looking great first three years, but mm-hmm. missed out on too many drafts to keep it going, and Andrew Luck decided to do other things. All right, Connor wants to know, if Carson Wentz doesn't work out, do you think Frank is on the hot seat? We haven't done much in the playoffs since he's got here, and he's had the opportunities. He's had several different quarterbacks, too, and none have worked out yet. says, I don't really see him as this quarterback guru that he's made out to be. Well... I do think Frank has done a nice job with quarterbacks. I, I would disagree with you there, Connor. Um, I think a lot of QBs have really either had career years or very good seasons with him as quarterback, with him leading the offense or being the head coach, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he's got to be on the hot seat if if it doesn't work out with Wentz. I mean, you can't go, whatever, six, seven years into it. And I assume if Wentz doesn't work out, that means you aren't doing month much in the month of January. Mm-hmm. Um, it was funny. I had a close friend of mine text me and say that, um, and I'm paraphrasing here, but said something to the effect of like, Frank Reich walks a fine line of confident and stubbornly naive. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's something I've thought about. Um, obviously the stubborn, stubbornly naive is not a great compliment, but I do think there are some tendencies to Frank's decision-making that follow that quote and honestly i think it is a fine line like 
when you're in positions like that, it is a very um, thin ice, if you will, mm-hmm. to being so, so confident and being wanting to be very aggressive as a head coach, obviously, and then believing in players you have past history with, like we've seen so often as well. And I, I do think that's largely how his career, part of how his career will be defined. Now, the aggressive nature, I mean, boy, I can just see, you know, a point in the month of January where all of a sudden the Colts are making some big decision in a divisional championship round game and it works out and it's super aggressive. And, you know, everyone's like, oh, that's why you're always aggressive. Mm-hmm. Like, And again, you guys have heard me say this. I like Reich's aggressiveness. I, I do. I'm a fan of it. I think it wins out in the end. But I do think there's times that it is a bit stubbornly naive, and he's such a believer in things that it's like, well, <laughs> it's not so much, Chris, like, it's not at all like he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. It's not like that. I just think it's part of his personality. It, I think smart people in general probably teeter on this as well. I think Frank's yeah. very smart. But, um, yeah, I just think that's kind of who he is. And, like, you know, he he was a former, or I guess it still is, an ordained minister. You know, like a preacher is a believer. Like they are very steadfast in their convictions and all those things. I think a part of it's just general, his personality. Right. Which, again, that's not like a, I'm not ripping the guy by any means. Like that's fine. But um, I think it gets into a little bit more of his decision making. It helps us better understand who he is as a head coach as well and look at some of his decisions through the, through uh, those lenses. This next question comes from Garrett, who realizes there's a lot of variables to this, but has a hypothetical for you. Okay. If we spend all of our cap money this year, what amount will we have available next year around to extend Darius Leonard and Braden Smith? Oh, shit. I got I mean, there are so many variables to it. <laughs> um, plenty, I guess, is my answer. You know, obviously, what happens in free agency, the amount of contracts you give – this year, next year, will weigh into that. They will have plenty of cap space. I'm going to guess, hell, they probably have close to $100 million right now in cap space. Now, of course, that won't be there. Like, you're going to sign a handful of guys, half a right. dozen guys, in the next couple of weeks or whatever. I'm trying to think of the free agents you have next year, Chris. Obviously, I mentioned the draft class. Hines, Leonard, Smith. Nelson, you'd have the fifth-year option, so technically it wouldn't be a free right. agent. Kamoko Turi, Taekwon Lewis, I guess non-2018 draft class. I believe um, Mark Lewinsky is a free agent. You signed him to a three-year extension a few years ago, so he would be up. But Garrett, they're going to have enough. <laughs> yeah, let me just say that. But, you know, how the deals play out here over the next few weeks will be something to watch. Wyatt wants to know if T.Y. ultimately does not re-sign with the Colts. Do you think he signs a one-day contract when he decides to hang him up? With the Colts? Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Yeah, I, I I guess I haven't really given it too much thought. I don't um I don't know. If he went and played somewhere for three or four years and won a Super Bowl, maybe not. But like you'd like to think that he's very fond of his time here in Indianapolis right. and one. I I know like a lot of people care about that stuff. I don't like did Dallas Clark sign a one-day contract here? Did Jeff Saturday sign a one-day contract? I kind of forget. Yeah. Like, did Dwight Freeney sign a one-day contract? I'm trying to think of the guys that went and played like somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't necessarily remember if those guys did or not. But, yeah, I think T.Y. has a lot of appreciation for Indianapolis yeah. and whatnot. It would be cool. I, I mean, I'm sure you saw the stat and know the stat anyway before it was even tweeted out. But to have Marvin, Reggie, and T.Y. 
all to have over 10,000 receiving yards. We'd be the first team in franchise, first team in NFL history to to have a franchise where we've had three receivers eclipse those numbers. Yeah, I did not realize that until I saw it um, going around Twitter. Yeah, that is pretty crazy. Obviously, modern day, last 20 years of football mm -hmm. certainly plays into that more. But man, it just goes to show you the run, and you hope that Michael Pittman can can carry that torch now moving into the future. All right, the last question comes from Sam. Wants to know, do you think the strength of the other teams in our division play any part of the, into Chris Ballard's offseason acquisition priority? For example, unless proven otherwise, Tennessee is who we have to beat for the division, which means we have to stop Derrick Henry, which means defense should take priority, right? And he mentions Edge, re-signing Autry, et cetera. Um, you know, to a degree, Chris, I don't think there's a lot, lot, like um... – yeah, I, I don't think it's like, you know, you wake up every, you know, waking night thinking, how, you know, how are we going to be the Titans? How, how are we going to be the Texans? How are we going to be the Jags? I, mean, I think back to a couple of years ago, Chris, you know, was explaining the Bobby Okereke draft pick and mentioned the mobile quarterbacks, more so in the conference. I mean, I do think in the conference, like, yes, as much as you need to win your division and whatnot, you know, I do think you got to look a little bit outside of just your own division as well. Tennessee is a very unique team. And how they are built. Mm -hmm. um, the Colts have, you know, had some some success against them. I, Henry has run very well against them, but it's not like the Colts are on some losing streak. I feel like they split against the Titans virtually every season, or even I think they swept them that one year mm -hmm. that they wanted the playoffs. Um, so a little bit, yeah. But I, I think I even asked Frank that or uh, Chris that sort of question a few weeks or uh, years ago, and. He kind of downplayed it. So I don't think maybe as much as you would think because uh, that was something that was on my mind as well. Yeah. Okay, that is all of the Twitter questions for this podcast. Anything you want to add? Awesome. Uh, I appreciate everybody. Like I said, uh, news should be a, a coming here over the next couple of weeks. So we'll stick to one a week, but you never know how that will play out over the months of, month of March because it is much more of a breaking news. It's probably the most breaking news month, really, mm -hmm. of any month here this um this offseason so we'll keep that coming you guys know where to find us for twitter questions as well i do want to give you a chance chris i know that for our gambling folk out there you have guaranteed winners that you would like to describe <laughs> in a very cool projects project company yeah. i don't know what, what just what, a brand at this point brand what is the proper term with it but let uh let listeners know if they haven't seen your uh your twitter account yeah so right now it's just on twitter but we're going to move to facebook hopefully do some podcasting in the future it's at Tipsy Picks Crew on Twitter. So I have a couple different guys that are collaborating with myself on putting out winners, and not only winners, but we do a detailed spreadsheet and really like to inform the, the better on what they're betting on. A lot of people just put out, hey, go bet on this, but don't tell you why you should go bet on that. Yes. And so people just blindly kind of follow. We like to put out picks daily um, and give a, a, a brief little write-up as to why we're thinking what we're thinking, and then you can choose to take them if you want to. If you don't, then you don't need to. Yesterday, our first day on the launch, we went three and two. Had buddies texting me winner. this morning. Had buddies texting me this morning. I only took three of the five, and the three that I took were all winners. So, <laughs> well, better than taking two of the five. Yeah. So, uh, we're we're just on Twitter. So this is at free. The moment. This is free. This okay. is this is absolutely free. Gotcha. Wow. Trying to get a following. Eventually, maybe make it a subscription based. Yeah. If people want to go, you know subscribe into more picks than just what we send out for free right um beyond a little bit but yeah just really trying to get into this this platform and educate be interactive with the listeners be interactive with the users 
I mean, if we're going to watch the game, it's us versus Vegas. Us versus Vegas so. Oh, boy, and that's a fight I've lost many times, <laughs> and I'm currently losing. So, uh, Tipsy Picks, correct? Tipsy Picks Crew on Twitter. I love it. Uh, that's awesome. So, check that out, guys, if you haven't already, and you're into a little bit of action, especially with the beautiful month that is March. Oh, yeah. Right here. Everybody have a great week. Great weekend. Chris Presley, Kevin Bowen, signing off on this edition of Kevin's Corner. Thank you all for listening. 1075thefan.com, all your latest. See you.